Good evening. Is my microphone on? Yeah? Okay. Just checking. Well, it's good to be back here again tonight um, to continue in our study in the book of Malachi. If you have your Bibles, that's where we're at is Malachi. And tonight we'll be starting in um, chapter 4. Um, so, but uh, I'm just grateful to, to see everybody here tonight, and for all those that may be um, tuning in at home uh, to participate in our time of teaching on Wednesday nights, um, we're grateful for that, for uh, all the people that are, that are participating in this as we continue to work our way through COVID times. Um, so here we are at the last chapter on the book of Malachi. Um, and this really is a continuation of Malachi's words from the end of chapter 3, uh, even though it's been marked off as a new chapter in our Bibles, uh, it's, a, it's connected to what Malachi's been saying. Uh, so if we want to really understand where chapter 4 picks up, we have to know where chapter 3 let off. Um, so let's look back just for a couple minutes at, at what happened at the end of chapter 3 so that we can understand what Malachi wrote to wrap up his letter uh, that he was writing to God's people. And um, remember that the, the final charge Malachi made against the people uh, on behalf of God was that they had been speaking harsh words against God to one another. Um, they were not fearing God. They were not honoring God. Um, they had determined um, that they had evidence that God was not being true to his own word. Okay, that's really what they had, what they had decided amongst themselves, is that God was not to be trusted. Um, so let's look back real quick at Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. It says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, How have we spoken against you? You have said, It is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge, or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Okay, they had determined that what God has, had always promised would, would come about for evildoers was in fact not going to happen. Uh, that's, that's what they had come up with. They looked at the arrogant evildoers around them and all that they were doing in, the, in, the, in their sin and they had decided they were even prospering in their sin, and uh, they're not even being held to answer for it. They're doing it right in God's sight, uh, and he's not punishing them yet, and, and because he's not punishing them yet, they determined it wasn't going to happen. Okay? They, they had a different timetable than God. It should have happened by now, shouldn't it? Um, so that was their evidence. Their evidence that God was not true to his word in terms of judging sin and, and punishing sin, their evidence was that they hadn't seen it yet. So their conclusion was it was better to live like those evil, unbelieving people, those people um, living wicked lives in disobedience to God. It was actually better to live that way because you could prosper in that and be happy in that and not have to go through all this stuff that God wanted you to go through because nothing was going to happen anyway. And they determined not only that, but that it was useless and empty to follow God, to follow his word, to, 
to walk as in mourning before him was, it was completely useless. There was absolutely no benefit to it at all. And so what they did then is they joined the camp of the arrogant evildoers, aligning themselves against the Lord God. Okay? They actually joined the masses. And we talked about before that you know, God accused the whole nation of them of, of robbing him. They were all guilty of it, except we also discussed the fact that that didn't mean that every single individual was uh, living against God, but the vast majority, therefore God lumped them in as a whole and could give this message to all of them. And we know it wasn't every single one of them because of the next section uh, that we come to. Okay, then the next section is the people that are contrasted with those who, who were doing evil. And these people are called those who feared the Lord. And these people are fewer in number, but they had been faithful to the Lord. And um, the scripture confirms uh, uh, that, that the, there was this small amount of people. However many it was, we don't know. But there were some. So though God can say the whole nation of you, there were some of those that had not fallen into this sin. And so we'll look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, so the end of chapter 3, to see what he says about those people. Verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Okay, so they, they spoke amongst themselves about the Lord like the other group had, but only they were honoring God. They weren't blaspheming God in their conversations with one another, lying to one another about God and his promises. Um, and so the Lord promised them, again, that he would remember them, okay, as described in what we just read, having written their names in a book, a book of remembrance. Okay, and we talked about that, too, that God doesn't actually need a book to write down names to, so he can go through and go, what was that guy's name again? Okay, that's not, God just knows everything. But for our human purposes, it helps us to know, because we do write things down to remember them. So it just gives us a picture of, of the fact and the point being, God will not forget them. It is set in stone. Okay? They were to be God's treasured possession in a day that was still to come. A day that will not be good for the arrogant and evil uh, evildoers. Uh, it will be a day of salvation and protection for those who are faithful to God. Those who are in the camp of the obedient uh, ones, the faithful ones to God. Those who fear the Lord um, had put themselves in the camp of those who would be spared on that day. So there's a major contrast here, and Malachi calls it a, a distinction between the righteous and the wicked and between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. He calls it that, a, a distinction. And the two contrasting groups were written about here so that one group would fear what was to come on the day, okay, and that the other group could rest assured that God would spare them on the day. Okay? The day is the beginning point of chapter 4. 
And it's also a continuation and further explanation of the words that we have to finish out chapter 3 from the prophet Malachi. So if you will, bow your heads in prayer with me, and then we'll get started tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for uh, this opportunity to be here, to open up your word, to see your your promises, to see your warnings, Lord, to see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And Lord, we thank you that uh, by grace, through faith, we can be in Christ. We can be in the camp of those who are spared the, the, the harsh things that will take place on the day, Lord. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for salvation that is found in Christ alone. Lord, for the promises uh, that we believe, for the hope that we have of eternity with you. We are so grateful for that. Uh, may you strengthen us in our faith. Uh, Lord, may, be, may you teach us tonight through your spirit that we would be reassured and uh, continue to trust in you even more. Uh, as the day draws near. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So here in the opening words of chapter 4, we see, uh, it says, For behold, the day is coming. That's how it starts off. For behold, the day is coming. This is the day that Malachi wrote about earlier in chapter 3, verse 17. Okay, The day when the Lord will make up his treasured possession. Those who feared him and whom he will spare. And these are the righteous ones who do serve God. Now, as Malachi continues here, we'll, um, he'll get to the distinction that he said would be seen by everyone on the day. The distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And he is going to talk about the wicked and what they can expect first. And then we will, again, contrast them with the righteous and what they can expect. Okay, we've seen this before in the book of Malachi. Um, when, when he says the curses that are going to come, then he, he talks about repentance. You know, coming back to him. He calls them back to himself. It's the same kind of thing. Let's look at uh, chapter 4, Malachi, verses 1 through 3. is what we'll be looking at tonight. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet, on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, the word behold here really is, is an attention getter. It's meant to draw our attention to, to the day. Yes, question. What time period are you talking about? What do you mean, what time period? When is this day going to be in? That's a good question that we don't know. <laughs> We don't know when the day is. It's, it's a day in the future. Our future. It was their future and our future. Because we don't know when the day is. When Christ will come back, we don't know. I'm talking about Christ returning in judgment. Yeah. Um, and so this has the idea that what we really need to understand is that... Uh, 
the behold word here, I don't know if everybody's translation says behold, but our, the idea is that our attention would be brought to this as it's a day that cannot not come. It is an absolute. It is coming for sure. Uh, God is going to judge. God is not like men who lie or who change their mind um, or who forget things. Uh, this day is coming. Uh, Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? This is God. He, he sets things, and he does them. He doesn't, he doesn't turn back on them. When God says the day is coming, it is coming. And that's the idea here. Is there's, a, there's an emphasis. Behold, the day is coming. There's no way around it. There's no scenario in which God will not do it. Uh, it is coming, and the people will behold it. And don't be fooled by your own speculation about the truth of God's statement based on passage of time or, or you not seeing it yet. And that's where this one group of people was. They had, based on what their eyes saw and the passage of time and what their eyes didn't see, which was the day, they had determined it wasn't coming. Okay, this is a, this is a warning. Behold, the day is coming. This is what is commonly referred to as Judgment Day. In verse 3, God calls it the day when I act. Then later in verse 5, it's referred to as the great and awesome day of the Lord. It is a day, verse 1, burning like an oven. Not an oven for cooking something to perfection for a delicious meal. Okay? This is an oven for incinerating, destroying this is about reducing something to nothing. And I don't think God is going to construct a large oven to throw people in that we can see. So what is the point of describing this day as burning like an oven? What do you think? It's an open question. What is the point of describing it in this way? Anyone? Okay. To describe the finality of it. Okay. Fear? fear? To, to cause fear? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Other thoughts on that? Why describing it as burning like an oven? Depends on who he's coming for. That's why he describes it that way. He's talking to a particular group of people. Well, well, he is talking to all of them. But the point of the passage as we move forward, too, is that the believers would be reassured that they are not counted among those. They will not be gathered and thrown into the oven. So they all hear it, but it should be a strong warning. And like Brandon was saying, bring about fear to those who are, who are not fearing the Lord. I don't think we're going to see a big oven, no. If we're here when he comes back. Uh, but I don't think it is about constructing a big, a big oven. And it's not, 
and about the oven. It's a description. It's burning like an oven. This is not about focusing on an oven itself. It's intended to give the visual of what happens to the thing placed into the oven. And we all get that concept. An extremely hot oven, you place a thing into it, something happens to that. It's not about the oven. Um, It's to give us a picture. It's a description of what is to be expected of the people that will be, figuratively speaking, thrown into the oven to be burned up. So it's not that we would focus on on an oven, but the results of something being burned in the oven. Okay? So who are those that the oven is being associated with then? As he's saying these words, who are the ones that are being associated with the burning like an oven? Okay. The wicked, right? The wicked. As, as he said earlier, the arrogant evildoers. Okay, those are the ones that it's being associated with. They're clearly marked out in our text as those who are arrogant evildoers. So the two words used here describe those who will be burned up by the heat of the oven Arrogant, uh, the Hebrew word translated as arrogant can also mean proud or presumptuous. I don't know if any of your translations say any of those, but, but it can be translated in those ways. The idea here is that these people, they believe they're self-sufficient. Okay? They, in other words, they don't need God. That's the arrogance of it. And the evildoers, the Hebrew word there, uh, is also translated as wickedness. Some of your, your translations might say the wicked or wickedness really indicating the product of their arrogance. Okay, they practice godlessness, and so they are ungodly people. Yeah? Right. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the proud, the arrogant, or the presumptuous. And here there are, they are presumptuous that they don't need God. Um, they live in pride. They, they are arrogant, thinking they don't need God because they're in control of their own lives and destiny. Therefore, they live as they want to live, in complete godlessness and rebellion. Okay, it's no different than the unbelieving world today. They, they either have made a god of themselves or they worship something else that they've uh, come up in their own minds to say this is God. Um, but they, they are arrogant and they are evildoers. And the, the, the evildoing is the product of the arrogance. When we have arrogance and believe we don't need God or there is no God, the result is I live however I want, and so I'm doing evil. Um, and here in our passage, the, the people are told that none of the ones in that category will escape. Okay, it says all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. And God is not actually going to turn them into stubble. Okay? Again, this is a word picture so that everyone will be able to grasp what, what it will be like. Okay? It's what it will be like. And stubble is like the leftovers of the grain harvest. Okay? It's dry, weightless. It's useless for anything. Animals wouldn't even eat this stuff unless it's mixed with other kinds of food. And even then, they would root around their faces in it to sweep the stubble aside to get to what they really wanted. It's just useless stuff. The animals would want to get to the good stuff. And the point here is that God is 
describing what the scene or situation will be like for those people. They, the wicked, will be like stubble. And it's to emphasize the worthlessness of these people. And Psalm 1-4 says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Okay, again, lightweight, the wind blows it away. It's something you don't even go collect. You don't even go looking for it. And it's also meant to describe the speed at which they will be burned. Uh, it's emphasized by this word picture, okay, how fast they would be burned up by describing it as stubble, okay, this, this lightweight, dry material. And stubble was also used in, in verses describing other things that were dry and lightweight, like chaff or dust that the wind would blow around. Uh, and these things could be burned up very quickly, given a hot enough oven, even instantly consumed. Okay, it reminds me of the, you know, the fiery furnace that was built up for, uh, for God's people to be thrown into, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, and then they, they made it so hot that the guys throwing them in, they didn't even go into the fire, and they were burnt up. It was so hot. You know, and, and you, I think we've all seen things that are so hot that they begin to glow. They, you, you put something in there and it almost, something really light, and it just almost vaporizes. Okay? It's, it's like an instant consumption. And this, this is no regular heat. It's not something to be taken lightly. Look how Isaiah describes this. Isaiah forty-seven fourteen. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this fire. No fire to sit before. Okay, this, this isn't a campfire. It's not something you sit there and you gaze at and you know, cook your marshmallows on. It's not something that is a, a fun thing. Okay, he's, he's describing it that way. This is no coal for warming oneself. It's no fire to sit before. So why do people in our time, those people weren't taking the warning seriously. Why do people in our time not take these warnings seriously about God's judgment? Because God's judgment is still standing, right? That day hasn't come yet. Why don't people take it seriously? They're comfortable in their sin? Okay. Right, they don't care about God at all. Right. Okay. The tangible. They want what they can feel and touch. They what? They, it's what it boils down to. They just don't believe it. And they're also, aren't they just as arrogant and evil? It's, it's the same arrogance and, and evil doing that is written about here in, in Malachi. Sometimes they even think judgment won't be that bad. Okay, like, like even if they did believe, well, you know, it might happen. They don't really think it's that bad. Uh, they say things like, like, well, at least I'll be there with my friends. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, we don't, sometimes we don't fully understand how bad it is and um, you know, we can begin to be maybe without even really thinking about it, thinking it's not that bad. 
You know, we don't have a whole lot of, you know, fire and brimstone type of preaching these days. But that's what that was all about, was reminding people of how horrendous hell is. Uh, and so when, you, when we don't talk about it, we don't teach it from the scriptures, we can begin to not think it's that big of a deal too. Something to be careful about. But yeah, to the thought that, well, at least my friends will be there with me, or you've heard people talk about it. Well, it's just like a party. We'll be having a party down there. <laughs> it's, you know, I, that's something you can't convince someone of. That is, the Lord has to convince them in their heart of their sin and that judgment is coming. And we can't convince them, no matter what kind of words we use. It is, they need the Holy Spirit to open their hearts uh, to see the truth. Um, I think this is the, the point of Isaiah's passage, emphasizing this is not the kind of fire that one warms himself by. Don't scoff at this. It's not something to take, take lightly. And our passage emphasizes this burning up by repeating the same thing again in different words. Malachi writes, uh, continuing on there, that the day is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. It will set them ablaze. Another way to describe this is by picturing the flames of a fire or tongues of a fire licking up what it's consuming. If you've ever been near a forest fire or anything like that, you know the power of it, and you know that it just it almost seeks after things and, and destroys them. It's like people describe fire as having being alive because that's what it looks like. Isaiah 5.24 says, Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. This passage mentions a root, and so does our Malachi passage. Look how verse 1 ends. So that it will leave them neither root nor branch. This is also very descriptive of the result of this burning, okay, the result of the heat. Uh, this stubble is completely consumed and nothing is left but ash, as we'll see a little later. It's just gone. So why do you think the Lord says here that he will leave them neither root nor branch? What is the point of doing both of those, leaving neither root nor branch? Right, it's never going to come back. There's, there's no regeneration there. Absolutely. There's, there's no chance of it. There's no, there's no purgatory. There's no going somewhere else where you can continue to work on your sins and then come back from this. If the, if the branches are burned up but there's still a root in the ground, there's a chance for life to spring back, spring back up, right? And that's why the language... That God uses here is emphasizing the finality of this day. That there is no hope for the wicked on this day. It's completely over. It burns the branches, goes underground, burns the root, completely gone. There is no hope of, of coming back. And contrast this with what those who did not fear God had decided at the end of chapter 3, verse 15. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. That was the conclusion they came to. They escape. But clearly, they do not escape. That's the point here. They do not 
escape. It is a certainty. Yeah, how, how would it be interesting? Yeah. Well, but we have examples in Scripture of people thinking that. If only they would see uh, this. If you would go to them, right? Go to my brothers and tell them this is how bad this place is. And wasn't it Jesus that said, they won't even believe that someone rose from the dead. They, they're not going to believe it. They don't believe all that they already have. They're not going to believe it, even if someone rose from the dead. I know, but that's different than seeing it. No, that is seeing it. If they saw someone raise, rise from the dead, he's saying that won't even overcome their evil, unbelieving hearts. That's the, I think that's the point of the passage. is Because like, we would like to think, because we think about ourselves, I think, right? If, if I saw this, man, I would never not believe anything, God said. But what the scripture describes is the total depravity of our hearts that, that we could see all kinds of things and we will, because we, like Dan, I think, said earlier, we love our sin. We're not going to believe. We, we are arrogant. Uh, and that's why we need the intervention of God in our hearts. Right? John the Baptist said this of Jesus, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. It's Matthew 3.12. Which brings us to verse 2, because of the wheat which will be gathered into his barn. We talked about that last week, too. Verse 2 goes back to the contrast or the distinction between the wicked and the righteous. And remember that this, uh, this being communicated to the people by Malachi is a point of relief or comfort. They will have a different experience. So the con- contrast is, look at what will happen to the arrogant evildoers, but you... You who fear God, here's what you can expect. He says in Malachi 4, verse 2, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Again, these are believers, the ones who by faith are counted as righteous like Abraham and the other forefathers in the Old Testament. We see in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, all these heroes of the faith, that their faith was counted to them as righteousness. Uh, It's about faith. And for us in our day, it is those who by grace through faith in Jesus Christ have been given the righteousness that is not their own. It is Christ's righteousness. And thereby being counted as those who will not be burned up, but will be gathered into the barn of the king. Okay? He calls them those who fear my name. That's, that's who they are. Those who fear my name. These are the obedient ones, the same people mentioned in, in chapter 3, verse 16. For them it is said, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And the word sun, S-U-N, here, this is intended to give us a word picture of the of the actual sun that rises and gives light on the earth, but also it is intended to reference 
Jesus Christ, the Son, S-O-N. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, Luke 1, 78. Jesus is referred to in many places in the scripture as light or, or the light of life, the light of the world, including by his own words. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, John eight twelve. Where the arrogant evildoers will be stubble, set ablaze, and consumed by the heat, those who feared him, the righteous ones, will benefit from the healing wings of the sun of righteousness. Think about the rays of the sun as it rises in the morning. And you can see them reaching out all over the land and everything in it. Bringing warmth, bringing light, bringing life. In that day there is healing for the righteous. There is no more sickness, tears, pain, and most of all no longer the burden and weight of ongoing sin as they live as wheat among the chaff. That's where we are now. That's why the description continues of, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Picturing the calf has been pent up and tied down in the cold of the night. Then as a new day dawns and the sun rises and the calf is freed from his bonds and runs and leaps out into the pasture with the warmth and the life that comes from the sun. And that is not where it ends for them. They, they partake in the victory of the Son of Righteousness. And we need to be clear that uh, this is won and accomplished by Christ himself. Those who are made righteous by faith share in his victory. Malachi 4.3 in our passage. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Those who fear God do not consume the wicked. We, God's people don't consume the wicked. They are already consumed by the Lord of armies who has now acted on that day. But here we have an idea of the participation in victory in the picture of the righteous walking on the ashes, trampling them down into the ground. And the ash is a reference to what the stubble has become. Okay, it's reduced to ash. There, there is nothing to it. That's what has been promised for so long, and it will be accomplished. I want to look in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, and verses 5 through 10. And look how Paul describes this to the church at Thessalonica. I think we can get a good picture here of what this looks like. Verse 5, 2 Thessalonians 1. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed 
because our testimony to you was believed. Our suffering will be over. He will bring us relief. He will be glorified in his saints, and his saints will all, what? Marvel. They will marvel at the Savior for his righteous judgment and his saving grace. What has been promised for so long will finally come when God acts. We don't know when that day is. People here that Malachi was writing to didn't know when that day was. And the passage of time and, and their sinful hearts has caused them to believe that it wasn't coming. Okay, except there were those who feared the Lord, and they did believe. They did not turn away from him. It is a day that he has set and will not change. It is an appointed day that cannot be stopped. And the next time we come back, we'll see what, what God-fearing people are told to do in the meantime. Okay, will you come back next time and finish up chapter 4 in Malachi. So any questions tonight about the study tonight? Actually, we have our Q&A time. Okay. Let me close this in prayer, and then we'll get into questions if people have questions. Father in heaven, thank you again for tonight and for, for your word. We thank you, Lord, so much when we think about the devastation of eternal judgment. Lord, when we truly have a, a picture of that in our minds, then, and we think about the, the grace and the mercy that you have shown to those who, uh, by grace, through faith, have, have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that mercy and thank you for that grace to save us, to spare us from that day, that great and awesome day of the Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that Christ comes with healing. Our salvation brings about healing. And we thank you, Lord, that it has nothing to do with us and what we have accomplished, but everything to do with the perfect, righteous life of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross to atone for our sin in our place. We thank you, Lord, and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.